Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. The Epiphany Hymn, From God the Father, Virgin Born, those words, By death the font to consecrate, the faithful to regenerate. Well, they fit beautifully as words of the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, the third Sunday after the Epiphany, because we are in heavy baptism territory as we look forward to Sunday morning. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender joins us to look forward to the third Sunday after the Epiphany. He's pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Todd, good to be with you. We're going to be talking about two healings in the gospel reading for this coming Sunday. Why was healing part of Jesus' ministry? That's a really great question, and it comes back to Christmas itself. You know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that the Son of God became incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary to redeem the creation and to redeem humanity. I mean, we are not simply disembodied souls or spirits. We are body and soul. Uh, We have a flesh and blood reality. And the problem of sin corrupts our flesh in every way, uh, not just in a sort of spiritual sense, but in a very bodily sense. Uh, So the physical aspect of our nature is there highlighted in the fact that our that our Lord became flesh and blood, and he was born of the Virgin and laid in a manger. And so when the healing miracles come, these are all signs of his redeeming work. They are a foretaste of the resurrection. It's in the healing miracles of Jesus that we see the power of the forgiveness of sins. You know, I'm reminded of Luther's explanation to the Lord's Supper where he talks about the forgiveness of sins as being the benefit. And then he says, where there's forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. And so the Son of God was born in the flesh, and we eat and drink his body and blood, and it is a foretaste of our own resurrection. And all of these healing miracles of the body then become epiphanies in and of themselves, highlighting and illuminating like light shining through a crystal or through a diamond, all the multifaceted aspects of uh, Christ's redeeming work. And uh, in today's readings, especially from the gospel and the Old Testament reading, the power of the word that brings the presence of Christ and that communicates uh, all of his blessings to us, body as well as soul. We begin with the collect for the day. What is it, and what would you say about it? 
all of the colics tend to to set up the theme for the day, and they, they appear in that prominent place after the confession and absolution and intro it, and we've sung the Kyrie and the Gloria. Then they set the, the stage and the readings immediately follow that. So the collect for Epiphany 3 reads this way, Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth the hand of your majesty to heal and defend us. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So I mentioned today's gospel and Old Testament reading, and in those readings, we see what this collect is talking about. We see the almighty and everlasting God in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, mercifully looking upon our infirmities, in the case of the leper who is cleansed, in the case of the centurion's servant, and stretching forth the hand of his majesty to heal and defend us from ourselves, from our sins, and from every malady, and from every enemy that is set against us. And so, really, this collect sets up the idea that this Sunday, we are all desperately needy, whether we realize it or not, and that Christ and his word is the joy, it is the comfort, it is the delight of our hearts, because our salvation is found only in Jesus, and we pray for that here, mercifully look upon our infirmities. In the intro, we are taken to some verses from Psalm 97, and how would that read out for us? It reads this way from Psalm 97, verse 1, 10, and 12, and it begins with the antiphon, which is verse 6 and 9 of Psalm 97. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. When we pray an intro like this, it causes me to think about Luther's axiom that the Christian faith lives from assertions, the assertions of the gospel, the assertions of God's word. So that which we pray for in the collect for the day that comes, you know, after the intro, it is anticipated by this intro, and it centers in those comforting assertions The Lord reigns. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. Light is sown for the righteous. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. You are exalted above all gods. So the intro centers upon those comforting assertions, and faith clings to these assertions. Faith rejoices in every assertion of God's word, and faith is glad in these assertions, because these are the source of our comfort. They're the ground of of certainty for us. And so you can see then how the intro it concludes with rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. And we're righteous through faith in Christ. And he has declared us righteous in the absolution that we have just received. And that's another assertion that we live from. So give thanks to his holy name. So the reign of the Lord spoken of in this intro from Psalm 97 is a reign that is centered in receiving the righteousness of Christ and the word of the gospel, the holy absolution 
that sets us free from sin and death and that establishes our communion with God and that sets up the great hope and anticipation that we shall rise from the dead. And that is as sure and as certain as Jesus' own resurrection from the dead and the word of the gospel that he proclaims and to which our faith clings. This lovely intro. There's so many of these in Epiphany especially that are just overflowing with praise and thanksgiving to God for the gift of grace in the assertions of the gospel. What is the Alleluia verse? Where is it from and how does it read? The Alleluia verse is from, again, Psalm 97. Alleluia, the Lord reigns. There's the assertion. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Alleluia. Because the Lord reigns, the earth should rejoice. For he is the creator of the earth and he is the redeemer. Let many coastlands be glad. You know, that brings to mind the nations that are scattered abroad, overseas, and so forth. So the verse presents a, what you might call a global, cosmic, and all-encompassing declaration of the reign of Christ over all things. And I just, I love seeing this more and more as so many people doubt the creation and that think of the world simply in naturalistic terms, how in the liturgy and in the portions of the liturgy that are quoted from the Old Testament, how creation and salvation, creation and redemption are brought together. And that's certainly anticipated in this Alleluia verse. So the reign of Christ is a reign that is accomplished by his all-powerful and life-giving word through which we have access to the death and resurrection of Christ that has redeemed the creation, that has cleansed us from sin, and that has made all things new. So it is fundamentally a word of salvation that causes the coastlands. That would be a reference to like the promise made to Abraham that all the nations would be blessed, the promise of the gospel for all nations that the nations, the coastlands would be glad and rejoice. And that's what happens when the word of the gospel is extended to people far and wide. We think about it, this in the gospel of Matthew, especially, there are Gentiles in this very Jewish gospel that are constantly coming to Jesus. And that's certainly the case today with the centurion in the gospel reading for the third Sunday after the Epiphany. You have many others from other nations that are coming to Jesus and they throng to hear him because his word has touched them. And so this is a wonderful song of praise in the Alleluia verse that anticipates the gospel and the hope of salvation for all the nations. We will get into that gospel reading with Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary, the third Sunday after the Epiphany, next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the new Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The new Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? 
When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the Word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org stewardship. Sanctifying your exercise routine with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Traditional liturgical worship, it's so much more than a style preference. It reflects transcendence in the divine service. The living God comes to us in real space and time through the Word and sacraments. Hi, this is Pastor Nigel Brown from Hope Lutheran Church in Hampton, Virginia. If you're looking for reverent worship and serious Bible study, look us up. We're in Hampton with Bible studies in Hampton and Williamsburg. We celebrate the divine service with communion every Sunday. Check us out at hopehampton.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning to the third Sunday after the Epiphany with Pastor Peter Bender, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Before the break, you had mentioned this gospel reading. Would you read it for us and then explain it? Matthew 8, verses 1 through 13. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, 
Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This is the gospel of the Lord. One of the things, Todd, that I just appreciate so much about this gospel is that you've got this leper who comes to Jesus clearly already with faith in his heart, and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And uh, as you know, I have an affinity for the New King James Version. I've been using that for years, and I've been reading uh, the English Standard Version, which is used in most of our churches now. And in the English Standard Version, the way the text reads is very insightful because Jesus answers, I will. It is his will to do this. It is his will to cleanse. It is his will to forgive. It is his will to save the sinner. So that's highlighted very nicely in the ESV, and it it reminds me of the small catechism, Thy will be done, the third petition, and uh, the good and gracious will of God is done. Without our prayers, we pray it may be done among us also. And that's that's what this leper was praying for, that the good and gracious will of God would be done. If you will, you can make me clean. And, and, he willed, I will be cleansed. And then the other thing is is the centurion. What is so dramatically highlighted there is the power of the word. So this centurion, who's a commander of a hundred troops, you know, comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but say the word and your servant will be healed. I also am a man under authority. I say to this one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes. And Jesus says, I have not found such faith even in Israel. So that the centurion confesses such faith in the word of Christ as the fountain and source of life and salvation is amazing. And it's why Jesus draws attention to it, the miracle of faith that was wrought in this Gentile's heart. So as we've been doing with these gospel readings for the epiphany of our Lord, the various Sundays, So we do here. There are points of epiphany. I'd I'd like to go through them just really quickly. Uh, Number one, Jesus looks like Moses in this gospel account. You know, the prophet greater than Moses as he comes down from the mountain and then cleanses the leper. If you remember on Mount Sinai, that first sign that was given was the sign of the staff that turned into a serpent. And then, then the second, the Lord says, put your hand in your bosom, Moses, and he puts it in there, pull it out and then it's leprous, and then put it in again and pull it out, and it is cleansed like newborn baby flesh. So that cleansing of the leper associated with Moses, you know, marks Jesus as the prophet greater than Moses. Uh, Number two, Jesus is willing to cleanse sinners, the unclean, the unworthy, and those corrupted by sin and its diseases, as as I mentioned at the outset here. Number three, these miracles are testimonies of God's grace and the coming resurrection of the body from the dead on account of Christ's redeeming work that took away sin and brought death into the world in the first place. So that's another great epiphany in all of the miracles of Jesus, as we said at the beginning of our of our talk together. Number four, Jesus is the only one who could cleanse, the only one who could bring the unclean back into communion with God in fulfillment of the law of Moses. Number five, Jesus shows himself to be the Messiah, to be the fulfillment of the law of Moses by sending the leper to the priests, according to the Torah, as a testimony to them, not only of his cleansing, but I don't know of any lepers cleansed very often in the Old Testament other than Nahum and the leper, who's the Old Testament reading for today. So it seems to me that 
going to the priest and showing himself alive and cleansed is a testimony that Messiah has come. Number six, Jesus says, say nothing to anyone, but show yourself to the priest and offer the gift as proof. So the work of Christ in fulfillment of the promise of salvation is the epiphany of who Jesus is to the priests. Number seven, the word of Christ is the means by which Jesus' forgiveness, life, and salvation come to us. Number eight, where Christ's word is, there he is present with us for our good. Number nine, the testimony of the centurion's action of coming to Jesus testifies to the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, that in Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed in his seed, and Jesus is that seed. And and finally, number 10, both the leper and the centurion had a prior encounter with the word of Christ. That is evident in the fact that they come to Jesus having heard the call of the gospel, and they draw near to him. So there's a lot of epiphanies in these gospel readings, and I just wanted to run through those quickly. I think that also in this gospel, Jesus draws attention to the greatness of the centurion's faith, and the greatness of one's faith is its singular focus in Christ and his word, whereas a lack of faith in Christ That's not a great faith. So the singular focus upon Christ in his word is what makes faith great. We see then also, Todd, in both the leper and the centurion, the miracle of repentant faith. They're broken and contrite of heart, and they do not trust in the slightest in any supposed goodness or worthiness of their own. And then when Jesus says, those sweet words, what a comfort they were, because they carried with it the benefit to save. He says, I am willing, be cleansed. I will be clean. That's Christ's absolution to the leper. More than words, it delivers what it says. And then when Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed to the centurion, that also is an absolution that brought healing to the centurion's servant not on the basis of the centurion's act of believing, but on the basis of Christ's word that the centurion received by faith. So go, let it be done, is every bit the powerful word of Christ that brought health and healing to his servant. So today's epiphany focus, if you will, in this gospel is upon certainty. Certainty for troubled sinners who are drawn to Christ and his word for forgiveness, help, and comfort. And I think that's just such a powerful accent in this gospel reading for the third Sunday after the Epiphany. You talked about the power of Christ's word, and I think that's highlighted if we compare Jesus saying to this centurion, may it be for you as you have believed, because he's really trusting the word, and then the one who speaks that word. And it reminds me in many ways of Mary's words with her encounter with the angel Gabriel, you know, may it be to me as you have spoken. It's that kind of emblematic faith. That's exactly right. And faith always has an object. And the object is either a false word or a false god or a false idol or 
the true Christ and the true Word of God. And that's highlighted exactly in this gospel reading so beautifully. And that's why Jesus extols the centurion. Again, it's not for the act of believing as if that is his work, but the miracle of faith and the object of faith, Christ's Word. And what an important lesson for all of us. And going back to what I just said a moment ago, you know, that's what gives certainty to our faith. We will turn to the Old Testament reading for the third Sunday after the Epiphany as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig even further into St. Luke's Gospel with Written in Heaven, Blessed Eyes and Ears, Good Samaritan, One Thing Necessary, and The Lord's Prayer. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. If you appreciate Issues Etc., our 24-7 music and talk stations, and our daily verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, please include a bequest in your will or trust for these worldwide media resources. Bequests aren't subject to federal tax or capital gains taxes. Ensure your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren the opportunity to listen by including a bequest in your will or trust for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, and the Word of the Lord endures forever. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The school's division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Welcome back. We're looking forward to the third Sunday after the Epiphany. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, up next is the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday, 2 Kings chapter 5, the first 15 or so verses. What does it say? Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. 
He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure him of his leprosy? Only consider and see now how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what an amazing Old Testament reading. I mean, it, you cannot find a better narrative in the Old Testament that fits so well with the gospel for the day. Again, highlighting the power of the word. But look at some other things that are going on here, Todd. The miracle in this little girl, a servant who was abducted and made a slave for Naaman and for Naaman's wife, that she would still care for and have compassion and love her master enough to say if only he were with the prophet in Israel, the prophet would heal him. What an amazing confession of faith in the grace of God, the undeserved mercy of God. You can hardly find a better one in the Old Testament than what you find in this Israelite slave girl. And isn't it interesting, it is servants that deliver this word to Naaman three different times. First, this slave girl, and then Elisha the prophet does not give him the time of day to acknowledge his great standing and his wealth and his money and his position. But Elisha sends a servant to him with the word of God. Wash seven times and you will be clean. 
And then in his self-righteousness and pride, when he goes away sad or is about to, his servants come to him. And I love the way it is translated here. My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? And then in the narrative, it's very important. It says he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So salvation came to this obstinate, pig-headed, self-righteous, proud, and arrogant leper, Naaman, the commander of the armies of Syria, by a simple but powerful word. And I'm reminded of Luther in the small catechism under baptism that works forgiveness of sins and rescues from death and the devil and gives eternal salvation. He asks the question, how can water do such great things? And this is a great narrative that teaches certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things. Along with the faith, what does faith do? Which trusts this word of God in the water. Without God's word, the water is plain water. But with the word of God, it is a water. That is a life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing the new birth in the Holy Spirit. So it's a great illustration of that portion of the catechism in terms of the miracle of the benefits that come to us in baptism. So the cleansing of Naaman corresponds directly to the gospel for the day. In Naaman, before his conversion, we see what a sinner is. He is full of self-righteousness, pride, and arrogance. He, like all sinners prior to their conversion, made a God out of himself. He trusted in his own position, his own status, his own accomplishments, his own power, his own wealth, and so forth. It's why he brings the silver and the gold and these royal changes of clothing as if to buy his own salvation. So, like all of us, the self-righteousness of Naaman had to die. God alone works contrition and repentance crucifying the flesh, and drawing us to Christ as unworthy sinners. And again, I underscore what Elisha says to the king, why did you tear your clothes? Send him to me, he'll know that there's a prophet. What is a prophet? One who speaks God's word. He'll know there's a prophet in Israel. And when he comes to Elisha the prophet, Naaman is not honored for his possessions, his money, his wealth, his position, Elisha deliberately sends a servant with the simple word of God to the door to greet him. God alone works contrition and repentance, crucifying the flesh. Though notice how the narrative simply will not allow for any human merit to contribute to the offer of cleansing and eventual salvation of Naaman through the water of the Jordan. So, These servants, as I highlighted before, are the ones who bring that clear and unmerited divine word. I think pastors should see themselves like these servants in the Old Testament reading for this particular Sunday. The word alone brings about repentance, and the word alone brings about forgiveness, cleansing, salvation. So Naaman is cleansed in the water by the word, a beautiful picture of holy baptism. So the prophet there in the narrative says that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. So, Todd, I think it's important to stress as we connect these two readings, the Old Testament with the gospel, that 
the divine word not only cleansed Naaman, but also brought about his conversion from a self-righteous, arrogant man who trusted in himself to a broken and contrite sinner who trusted in the Lord and his word. The gradual for this coming Sunday is from Psalm 102. What does it say and what does it teach us? It brings us from the Old Testament into the epistle, and it reads, Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. So a couple of points on this gradual. What does the law demand? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods. The law demands that we fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So what the law demands the gospel of Christ creates and gives in our hearts. So this fear of the name of the Lord is the response of faith, the awe and the reverence for the Lord. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. All kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. So the conversion of the nations and the building up of the church, Zion, is the work of the Lord. And in the good news of Jesus' love, Christ appears in the glory of his redemption to the unworthy, and he is heralded before the nations, and kings are brought to fear the glory of the Lord, and all nations will bow down before him. So that's, you know, a common theme, isn't it, that the gradual for this Sunday continues to emphasize for all of Epiphany, from the Magi who come and fall down and worship him, to those disciples at the wedding in Cana of Galilee who believe in him because his glory was manifested to them in the changing of water into wine, and, of course, the leper who is cleansed and the centurion whose servant is healed— worship the Lord Jesus, and they find in him, as all the nations do, the glory of God's people Israel and the light to the Gentiles. So all of those epiphany themes, you know, keep being highlighted and accented throughout the Sundays of the season. We will be looking at the epistle for this coming Sunday with Pastor Peter Bender as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Since 1973, pro-life advocates have been gathering annually in Washington, D.C. to march for unborn life. And since the overturning of Roe v. Wade last year, this movement has taken on new direction and new focus. To learn more, pick up your copy of the January issue of The Lutheran Witness, titled Life After Roe, and learn more about what the pro-life movement is now doing to stand up for life. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological, 
My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. Back to Issues Etc. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. We come to the epistle reading. What is it, Pastor Bender? The epistle assigned as the primary one is from Romans 1, 8 through 17. And then there's an alternate epistle, Romans 12, 16 through 21, which was actually the original epistle for this day. But the one that Lutheran service book assigns, Romans 1, 8 through 17, reads as follows. St. Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. This is a wonderful epistle, and St. Paul is talking like a pastor who has had a relationship with those saints in Rome whom he brought the gospel to, whom he catechized, and he rejoices in the faith they share together and the emphasis is not that they're looking at each other and saying, look at how wonderful it is that we believed, but what they're sharing together and what they're rejoicing in is the gospel itself, that 
sweet word of Christ's mercy and grace, which they received and believed and which comforted them and which bound them together. So the Apostle Paul overflows here in a prayer of thankful rejoicing for the faith and the gospel of God's mercy in Christ that he and the Roman Christians share together. So it becomes an expression of true concord, doesn't it, and true fellowship that is not based upon human arrangements, but rather upon the miracle of conversion and repentant faith in Christ that the gospel of Christ itself created. And that's the basis for all church fellowship. And that closing portion, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For Paul, nothing else could comfort him, a former persecutor of the church who tried to destroy the name of Jesus and those who called upon the name of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Paul was a recipient of the comfort and power of that gospel, as were all of his hearers. And the righteous live not by their works, but by faith. And he quotes from Habakkuk, you know, the righteous shall live by faith. And in the book of Habakkuk, it's faith in the promise of the gospel made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the gospel of Christ is that which saves all people, and it is that which unites us and binds us together in the communion of the church that is characterized by such deference and forbearance of one another in love. And so if you think about that epistle in connection with the leper who is cleansed and with the centurion and the centurion's servant, how they all would have rejoiced together in the common bond of faith in Christ and the mercy that had come to them. And, and we do that today in the church as well. Did you want to say anything about that alternative epistle reading from Romans 12? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm not sure which one I prefer. So as we go through the one-year lectionary, we will sometimes alternate depending on how I want to accent things from the gospel for the day in my sermon might dictate which of the two epistles I would choose. But it's Romans 12, 16 through 21, not quite as long as the previous, and it reads as follows. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So let me just make several comments on this particular epistle in light of our gospel for the day. This epistle exhorts the baptized faithful to live in the harmony of humble faith in the gospel with one another. That, that harmony and that concord and that communion and fellowship that we just discussed. Number two, the exhortations of Paul here. They flow from what we believe according to the gospel. And they signify the way in which we are called by the gospel of Christ to live with one another. 
and to live with those or to interface with those who do not believe in Christ. So that's dramatically highlighted here. You know, do not be haughty. Repay no one evil for evil. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourself. And then finally, this mentioning of the coals, you know, burning coals on the head. To live in such undeserved mercy, even with your enemy or those who hate you, heaps burning coals on their head. That is to say, it may be much more powerful toward their conversion than an angry confrontation, which the apostle would call evil. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And, you know, we see that in the example of Stephen, for example, who prays, Father, do not charge them with this sin. And in a certain sense, that, of course, angered them and embittered them even more, and they rushed at him to kill him. But in a greater sense, it articulated in his prayer, in his disposition toward his enemies, the heart of the gospel which he preached and which they had wanted to destroy. So it's another alternative epistle for the day and one that I think certainly is worthy of consideration as well, given the overall theme for the day. How would you summarize this coming Sunday's propers in terms of law and gospel? I would say this. Number one, the self-righteous arrogance and idolatry that characterizes the faith of our fallen nature as we see in the example of Naaman, this can be characterized so often by anger, by a rejection of God's word for ourselves and for others. And I think that self-righteousness that can lead to pharisaical pride needs to be addressed. But there's a flip side to that self-righteousness and pride. And that is that we are also the same temptation that our flesh has to rely upon its works is also tempted then to despair by that same self-righteous and arrogant flesh that clings to us, never able to believe that God could possibly forgive me, could possibly save me or cleanse me. So those become, if you will, two sides of the same coin either the obstinacy that we see in Naaman the leper. He's just filled with anger and hatred because how dare you challenge who I am and what I've accomplished and my position and I have a right to buy my healing and wealth and you need to recognize me. But the other side of that is that that I come to see my sin and if I'm still believing that my own works or standing in this world or money or possessions can somehow by God's grace and favor, but then I can't do it. I can't muster enough of it. That's the other side of the same coin. And so when when Jesus says, I am willing to the leper to cleanse you, I mean, that leper was a person who was ostracized from society. They lived in leper colonies. They were called unclean. What a what a horrible thing to call someone who has a disease, but it, it indicated the linkage between physical infirmity and sickness and the corruption and disease of sin. And when we experience that, all too often the response is, there's no hope for me because the feeling of sin and the corruption of sin sort of permeates me uh, all around. So 
going on further with these maladies then, that, that we seek comfort and reassurance from within ourselves has got to be addressed within our own goodness, our own piety, prayers, or strength of believing. And every false faith must be put to death in us. And I think a, a wise pastor who has an ear open to his parishioners and what they're struggling with will identify what those false gods are that need to be put to death so that the gospel can be proclaimed. And I would say the the unique gospel for the day, I would make maybe four points. Number one, the gospel is for all nations, all people, the self-righteous and the broken without partiality because it's based upon the grace of God in Christ. That gospel was proclaimed to Abraham when he was called. He was a rich man. He was called out of the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, and to be God's chosen man, not by any merit or worthiness in him. And in you, Abram, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that is the promise of the gospel for all nations. Number two, the gospel is proclaimed by Jesus to each one of us sinners, no matter who we are, no matter what nation we have come from, no matter how profoundly deep the sin and death is within us. I am willing. Be cleansed. I will your cleansing. I will your salvation. To know that that is at the heart of our Savior who shares the Father's heart and in the will of Jesus to cleanse and to forgive and to save and to cover all of our sin and to make us whole and to bring about the resurrection to immortality and incorruptibility on the last day is the Father's will. It is Jesus' will. It is their heart of love for us. I think this absolutely must be emphasized on this Sunday in the proclamation of the gospel. Number three. It is as if Jesus were saying to us, I am willing to take all of your sin, all of your unrighteousness, all of your arrogance, all of your pride, all of your diseases, all of your physical and spiritual infirmities upon myself for your salvation. Be of good cheer. I will this. So I think we have to, as preachers, proclaim the gospel in that way. It's, it's why Luther would speak of the preaching of the gospel publicly as the preaching of absolution into the ears of our hearers. And that leads us to the final fourth point that I would make here, and that is that Christ's word gives certainty and therefore comfort. We've highlighted how it delivers what it says. We see that in the cleansing of the leper. We see that in the cleansing of Naaman. But it is the word of Christ that gives comfort, and it gives certainty. And we see that expressed in the reflection of the centurion. I'm a man under authority. I say go, and he goes, and to another come, and he comes. Oh, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, Jesus says, because the centurion's faith was singularly focused upon Christ's word. And for the members of our congregation who are 
struggling with guilt, who are troubled by their sins, their weakness, the power of the gospel that saves is a power that gives everlasting comfort, eternal joy, and peace, and it is a sure and certain word. And that's what makes faith great. That's where faith needs to rest. And that's what we celebrate, you know, if we look at those epistle readings from Romans. That's what we celebrate together in the fellowship of the church, and it spills over in our interactions with others outside the church as well. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thank you for your time. Thank you, Todd. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll begin a series on the Nicene Creed with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We'll have Dr. Bill Weinrich lead us in a teaching on I Am the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. And we'll talk with Pastor Hans Feeney about how the secular left keeps seeking fulfillment of religious impulses with unsatisfying substitutes. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You're invited to a special life service Sunday afternoon at 3 on January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Pastor Michael Salamink, Executive Director of Lutherans for Life, will be the guest preacher. What does Jesus have to do with life issues? Find out at a life service Sunday afternoon at 3, January 22nd at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Columbia, Illinois. Learn more at sidadvocatesforlife.com.